Good morning. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ali, for the introduction. So, if you don't know me, my name's James. Um, married to uh, Becky downstairs, and we've got three little kids. You may have seen them running around and uh, <laughs> being disruptive in, uh, in worship. Um, and we've called our, the Oak our home for many years, and it's great to be speaking to you again today. So today we are continuing our series in John's Gospel, and specifically we're looking at this story about where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, chances are, whether you know the Bible well or not so well, you might have heard of this story. It's one of the best-known stories in the Gospels, and in fact, it's one of the few stories that we find in all four Gospels. But equally, if you've heard it a hundred times, you know, don't let um, familiarity sort of let you gloss over the details. There's an awful lot in there, and there's an awful lot we can learn. So let's together look with fresh eyes and ears uh, at God's word this morning. Now, just before we look at the passage, um, just to explain that John's gospel was written by the, the disciple John, <laughs> um, that we may know Jesus now. It's full of important details and meaning. And this gospel isn't just a really popular history book that we look at time and time again because we really like history. It's a, it's a book that tells us what Jesus did all those years ago and what he continues to do now. It's like a, a love letter between a married couple. It's talking about something that happened in the past, but for a current love and a current hope that we have today. And like many of Jesus' miracles, we see Jesus at one time in one place, performing one act, but actually something that means an awful lot more. Jesus is fulfilling prophecies and predictions from the past with huge repercussions that echo into the future. And we'll look at that shortly. So we'll, uh, we'll look at the passage to start off with, and I think it should come up on the screens. So uh, at the start of John 6, it says... Um, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is also the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had been performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough, food, uh, buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There were plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. There was about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets 
with the pieces of five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So today I want to show us a a case for Christ. C-A-S-E, a case for Christ. And that, in today's uh, little sermon, stands for Jesus gives compassion, abundance, and salvation for everyone. Can you see the C-A-S-E there? Yeah, foot long and hard about that. Um, so in a nutshell, that is, that is today's message. Jesus gives compassion, abundance, and salvation to everyone. As ever, when we read the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what did it mean back then, and what does it mean now? So let's unpack this passage a little bit further. So the setting is a remote hillside in northern Israel, next to the Sea of Galilee during Passover. I think there might be a slide with a picture of uh, what this looks like. There we go. There's a nice uh, map from Google Images. Um, Looks quite nice, doesn't it? Um, It was a relatively safe place for Jesus. It was only about 20 miles from where he grew up in Nazareth, It was his home turf. It was rural. It was a long way from Jerusalem where the ruling powers were and where the people were who were actively trying to plot his downfall at this point. Now, it's good to be aware that in the Gospel of John, the events don't necessarily follow in chronological order. It jumps around Jesus' life a little bit. However, when we look at the four Gospels as a whole, it's believed that at this point in the story, Jesus has been around for a couple of years. He's performed several miracles by this point. He's done the Sermon on the Mount. He's calmed the storm, for example. And he's done a lot of teaching to his followers. It's believed he went to, he's been to Jerusalem a couple of times by this point. So the authorities know who he is, what he's all about. And they don't like him because he's ruffling their feathers. And in fact, they were actively trying to plot uh, Jesus' death by this point. Um, And just in the previous chapter, John, we see Jesus rebuking uh, the ruling powers, the authorities, the high priests, uh, who claim to be doing God's work. So Jesus' ministry is gathering a lot of momentum by this point. And also, again, when we look at the four Gospels, this event, the feeding of the 5,000, also occurs directly before he walks on water. And all the Gospels have that link. The two stories go together. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the largest scale miracles that Jesus did. And although it is known as the feeding of the 5,000, that was just the men. When you include women and children, it could have been anything up to 10 to 15,000. It's also worth noticing that it's nearly Passover. And this is important because the Israelites celebrated Passover when they came out of Egypt, when they parted the Red Sea, uh, and God performed that miracle. So it was a big deal. It was a big celebration, similar to our time of Advent and Christmas. It was a joyful time of celebration. So hopefully that's given a little bit of context about what's happening around this story. So the first point I want to uh, sort of draw out to us in our case for Christ is that Jesus shows compassion. Compassion. 
The story opens with Jesus surrounded by crowds and retreating to a remote place to rest, to have some peace and quiet with his disciples. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. A great crowd of people followed him. They saw the signs he had performed healing the sick. Jesus went up onto a mountainside, sat down with the disciples, and the crowd followed him. So we see the crowds. Jesus had been performing miracles and signs and wonders. And Jesus retreats, but the crowd follows him. And what is Jesus' reaction to seeing this large crowd coming towards him? Is he disappointed? Is he frustrated that he's lost his uh, quiet time, time of rest? No, Jesus demonstrates compassion. Jesus not only demonstrates great power in this story, but he is motivated and moved by compassion. Jesus' first thought on seeing this crowd with us, their welfare. Where would they get something to eat? Practicalities. And perhaps after recent events that's happened in Jesus' life, they're going to Jerusalem, the aggression, the, um, the negativity that he's encountered, perhaps actually seeing thousands of people coming to him, wanting to hear him, wanting to be close to him, gave him great comfort. The account in the story of Matthew's gospel contains some slightly different details. It says in Matthew 14, um, when, Jesus, when Jesus landed, a large crowd followed him, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Equally, in Mark's account of this story, in Mark 6, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a great crowd, he had compassion, compassion again. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So there's several other cases where we see Jesus is moved by compassion in the Gospels. And I think part of the reason Jesus does this thing is simply because he could. He could help. He could fulfill people's needs. He saw tired and hungry people, and he wanted to help. No doubt there were many different people in this crowd. Some would have been Jews. Some, many would have probably not been from Israel. So there weren't people typically that would... Um, associate together different people, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different beliefs. But yet Jesus includes all. And you know, it's so comforting to know that we have a God who cares for our well-being. We don't have a God who's distant. We don't have a God who doesn't care. Or we have to please, or we have to bring an offering or something like that. You know, we have a God who wants to provide and protect us today, just like he did back then. And, you know, that's not to mean that life isn't difficult at times, of course it is. But, you know, Jesus gives us something much more valuable than just material things or sustenance. He provides for our hearts. He gives us what we truly need in here. Now, did you notice in the middle of the story, Jesus asks a rhetorical question to Philip. Um, it says, Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip, not quite getting the point, said, oh, you know, take, take half a year's wages to provide um, enough food for these people. And I find it really interesting that God often prompts us with rhetorical questions in life. 
You know, for me, I have lots of occasions where I see something or I hear something or hear somebody struggling and I feel God saying that rhetorical question to me. He says, you know, don't you think you should have compassion on that person? Don't you think you should maybe stop what you're doing and go out your way a little bit to see if that person's okay? Don't you think that person perhaps needs to hear the gospel message that Jesus loves them? You know, that's a test for me. And uh, more often than not, I usually fail the test. Um, but you know what? Compassion is such an incredible and powerful thing to both give and to receive. I was saying to some close friends recently that I think maybe a lack of compassion is holding me back in my faith. And I'm starting to pray more and more that God would break my heart for the things that he really cares about so I can love people better, so I can be more compassionate. It's, uh, it's a really powerful and wonderful thing. Uh, secondly, in uh, our case of Christ, Jesus gives compassion and abundance. So we, like, like we just looked at, Philip doesn't know what to do. You know, the disciples are at a loss. Andrew doesn't know either, but he brings this boy with his small basket of bread and fish to Jesus' attention. Now, bread was common to all people in this day, especially, you know, in ancient times. There was, it was the staple food of everyone's diet. There was no, you know, bread, pasta, rice, chips, etc. that we have today. There was bread and nothing else. It was common to everyone, both rich and poor. And it's interesting that Jesus chooses this because he could have found no more uh, appropriate or powerful way to confirm that he is the, the true source of life, the true sustainer of our needs, the true sustainer of our spiritual life. Um, in our walk with God, so often we have, you know, we, don't, we sometimes don't know what to do or where to start. But the starting point is always to bring what we have to Jesus. You know, we can never tell what he's going to do with our limited resources. And although through faith, you know, we, we can expect that he'll do great things, we um, want him to do great things with the, the resources that we have, something for his kingdom, something that we perhaps hadn't thought of, something new and creative. You know, we have limited resources, but God can use them abundantly. He can do so much more than we can do um, in our own strength. And Jesus, in contrast to the world, gives life. And the life he gives is rich, and it's full, and it's eternal. You know, let's not ever underestimate the power of God's abundance. You know, Philip can remind us of many people we know today. Perhaps we've got good ideas, good intentions, good at identifying needs. But actually, when we look at the practicalities of, oh, actually, this is, this is quite a big task. This is more than we thought. Perhaps sometimes we're a little bit daunted and scale back our plans and ambitions um, for God. You know, let's not, let's not worry about what we can't do. Let's worry about what we can do. What can we give to God today? And I'm often challenged by this. Um, I often think, God, just, just give me an opportunity today to do something. I don't know what it is, but let, let, let an opportunity arise where I can share you. And we all have different amounts of time, some, lots of time, some we have no time. Same with money or resources or you know, skills that we have. Let's just pray for daily opportunities. Whatever God's given us, wherever God has placed us in our life, that we can use these, these things 
to glorify him. And yet we shouldn't be surprised when God produces so much from little. We've seen it throughout the Bible. In the very first uh, sort of chapters of the Bible, in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God created something out of nothing. And he goes, that chapter goes on to explain how he created the universe and us as well. Uh, the first words of John's Gospel say something very similar. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word that refers to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Again, Jesus ever-present, Jesus creating something out of nothing, Jesus providing, Jesus breathing life um, into the world, into our lives. You know, let's not put human limitations on our God who knows no limits. You know, I love, uh, I love, I love stargazing, I love um, walking in the fells in the Lake District. And I think what they have in common is it reminds me just how truly insignificant I am when compared to the mighty God of, our, of the universe, our Lord and Saviour. You know, whether it's gazing at stars or standing at the top of a mountain, I just love those moments where I think, oh God, you are so big. I can't even fathom you're beyond comprehension how big you are. Like no human could ever truly understand how big you are. And uh, another, another story, me and Becky were on the team that were praying for the, for the Alpha uh, that we had before summer. Um, we had this fantastic team of uh, guys here helping and serving. We had up to about 12 people coming uh, on a weekly basis for Alpha. And we were you know, praying for them all every week that these people would come to know Jesus personally, that God would do something in their lives. And, you know, 12, 12 people, it's, maybe it's not 5,000, but it is, it's every life, every, every opportunity we have to encounter God is precious. But can we, you know, do we believe and do we hope that God will do something great in those 12 people? Yes, absolutely. What about 100? Absolutely, God, you can do it. 5,000, you know, that's getting bigger, but there's no limits to what God can do. And I was reminded this morning, several years back, um, in, in this church, before we had this building, it must have been six or seven years ago now, but we had a, we had a vision for, for the year, it must have been like 2015 or something, where we prayed for one church building, 10 new believers, and a congregation of 100 people. And at the time, that felt big. That, that was like, oh, wow, is, is God going to provide all that? I don't know. Let, let's pray about it. Let's see what happens. We're excited. And, you know, I can't remember the exact time scales, but fast forward to now, it's like one church building. You know, way more than 10 new believers, way more than 100 people in our church. So, you know, thank you, God, that you have provided uh, abundantly for us. You know, every life, every situation matters, and God will use the things that we provide um, abundantly um, I'm not sure if this is on the screen but Psalm 8 says Lord when we consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is mankind what is us what are we that you are mindful of them what are human beings that you care for them 
You know, ask, God asks us to bring the little we have. You know, a mere token gesture in comparison what to what he can provide. But you know what? He asks us to participate in his gospel, in his kingdom, in bringing the good news to the world. You know, Jesus died for us on the cross that we wouldn't be separated any longer. And yet he asks us to participate. He asks us to bring the little we have and he will multiply it many, many times over. You know, that's just mind-blowing. That's fantastic. And thank you, God, that you do that for us. And, you know, when we consider these things, how great and powerful God is, God's love is poured out abundantly to us from nothing. You know, it's, it's his grace. You know, suddenly these, these big challenges don't seem so big anymore when we remind ourselves how big God is. So we've seen that God provides compassion. We've seen that God provides abundantly. And thirdly, God, in this story, provides salvation. So it says, you know, after the people saw the signs that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, there's signs again, reference to signs and wonders. Now, notice that in God's gospel, it talks about these signs. It's not, he doesn't sort of phrase them as miracles, they're signs. You know, John is emphasizing that the actions are really a sign to something much greater. They're not just miracles that we can like watch and be amazed at, like some sort of performer. John wants us to see and to participate in the gifts that Jesus offers. These signs point people to God's Son, and to his salvation. Now, as mentioned, it was, uh, it was Passover in the Old Testament, so uh, when, the, when they celebrate coming out of Egypt. And uh, now, they, back then, the Israelites faced this whole nation of people trying to come out in the desert with no food or water. And even more remote place than what, where Jesus finds himself. Even more people, hundreds of thousands of people back in that story compared to the 5,000 we have in this story. You know, there's an interesting parallel between what Jesus does and what happened in the Old Testament. And as, Jesus, as, you, as usual, Jesus redefines something that happened before to give it an even greater significance. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to read like, through it, but uh, in Exodus 16, you can, and I'll just very quickly summarize it, so it's how the, the Israelites came into the desert and they said, Oh, Moses, if only we had died in Egypt. You know, at least we had food there. You brought us to this desert to starve to death. And God speaks to Moses and says, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them that in the morning I will provide food and I will provide bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So evening came, quail, small birds came down into the desert, covered where the Israelites were, so they gathered them up. In the morning there was uh, flakes on the ground, uh, which is called manna, manna from heaven. Um, and Moses said, you know, this is the bread that the Lord has given you. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone gather what they need. Go out, gather what you need, and take it back, enough for every person. And it ends by saying, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it out, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So do you see the similarities in these stories? Again, we have, we have a large crowd. We have a remote place. We have God's compassion and abundance. And God performs a sign, a miracle, to fulfill people's needs. 
But the difference is in the Old Testament, people still got hungry. People still needed, needed that daily top-up. People still got hungry and eventually, you know, they, they died. But in this story, Jesus provides not only physically, but he has something much greater to provide too. As he puts it, he offers the bread of life, the bread of heaven that gives salvation and eternal life. John 6 says, Jesus said to them, very, this is a bit later in John's gospel, um, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, please always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. You know, there's that salvation again. Those that come to Jesus will never be hungry, will never thirst. But in a spiritual sense, Jesus fulfills our every need spiritually and in our hearts. And my last point is this, that in our case for Christ, Jesus provides for everybody. Jesus gives compassion, he gives abundance and salvation for everybody. So Jesus then, as now, doesn't exclude any of us. Anyone here this morning, whoever you are, whatever your background, Jesus died for us. And that free gift of grace is available to each and every one of us. Uh, again, in John, that very famous passage, John 3, 3.16, for God so loved the world, you, know, you could substitute that everybody, for God so loved everybody that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in this story, we see that Jesus shows great compassion to us. He uses the little we have and uses it abundantly to achieve great things for his kingdom. And that through this action, he offers salvation to everybody as well. So I hope if you're a Christian here today, you're reminded and encouraged about what can, God can do through each and every one of us. Remember, it's not, what we, it's not what we can't do that matters, it's what we can do through God that truly matters. And if you aren't a Christian here today, I hope that this, this passage today, what we've looked at, shows you that God is loving. He cares about you and us deeply. He is compassionate. And that wonderful gift of salvation is here for you today. I'm just going to invite Adam back up. Um, I'm just going to pray for us. And then, if Adam, if you want to um, lead us in a song. That would be much appreciated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story where you provided so amazingly to, the, to those that are in front of you, to those who are in need. Lord, thank you that here today, as, uh, as we're here today, Lord Jesus, that you provide for us too. You are concerned for our well-being, both physically and spiritually, Lord. Thank you so much that you are not distant. Thank you so much that you invite us to participate in your kingdom. 
And Lord, whatever, whatever, we, whatever we have to offer, whatever resources we have, Lord, we, we, we give them to you. We thank you that you do so much with us and through us, Lord. And Lord, thank you for that salvation as well. Thank you that this story points us to your greater, eternal salvation, Lord. That is free to every single one of us. Thank you, Jesus.